Well, good morning. And if you are having trouble thinking of two things that are scarier than coming to a new church in an abandoned theater, now you have them. Uh, but my name is Margo. I'm the Aware Love Pastor here. Uh, Brent is normally at stage on Sunday, but he is recently now a daddy uh, in a family of six. So we figured, you know, there's always Christmas pageants and all the demands of having quality family time. So that is our Christmas present to him and our Christmas present to you guys is, as the video said, I normally run a little shorter. So don't say we don't give you guys anything. You guys will be out hopefully in a gif. But until that point, we're going to discuss a little bit more on our series, which is called Advent. And if you're not really sure what Advent is, apart from those calendars of the really cheap, disgusting chocolate, but you still buy, uh, Advent is just a season of preparing. It's preparing our hearts and our minds to focus in on the event uh, that we call Christmas. And Brent, the other two weeks, uh, has been talking about commonalities. So things that even if you don't really do the church thing much, even if uh, you don't know much about the Bible, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian at all, what are things that some, for some reason at Christmas time, we all say, we all get on board with? What are these things that we share in common and how that point back to truth? Uh, so if you're interested at all about hearing those other talks or any of our previous messages, you can find those at Eastlake, tricities.com slash talks. We have podcasts and videos and all that great stuff on there. Uh, but diving in, thinking about what I want to talk about this week, uh, I want to talk about probably one of the more common phrases that you hear, which is Merry Christmas for all. And so what, what can you actually say about that? Is there anything to say about it? Uh, and it made me think a little bit about all, because all is a very inclusive word. We do not think about like all means literally everyone. Uh, so it's a very inclusive word. It brings people in. It covers a lot. But have you ever felt like maybe you were not included, that you were in the wrong place, that you found yourself in a place that you should not be, you happened on accident. And I find that in my life, there has been several occurrences where I have utterly ended up in the wrong place and it has been very awkward. Uh, one of them was, it was uh, my first week at college. There was a girl in one of my classes that seemed really cool and she's like, hey, let's go and grab a coffee and study. And I was like, awesome. She's like, I have a car, I'll drive you there. It's a gold car, I'll meet you out front. So I get my stuff and I was there down early, but then I looked out and I said, well, she's even earlier than me because here's this gold car. It's turned on, you know, the exhaust is going. I hear music, so I'm like, wow, she's really rocking out. So I'm like all bubbly, kind of nervous, you know, new friend. I, you know, get my coat on, my bag. I open up the door and I'm like, hey! And I'm in the car and I look to my left and there is a very dirty man that is passed out uh, in the driver's seat. So I am now in this situation where I am terrified to wake him up because he already has me in his car. So now it's that point where you're like, you're trying to sneak out, but you can't slam the car door because that will definitely wake him up. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what his situation was. So now I'm like, why is this? This is like a seminary school. Why is there a passed out man in a car? So I like had to like slunk out and then I just like, kind of shut the door, so I'm sure whenever he woke up or came to, he was wondering why his passenger door was open. But uh, yeah, so that was one instance. Another instance where I had one of those moments where I'm like, wow, I'm definitely not where I should be, is my college orientation, different college. Uh, so I went there, and you know, I just got married, and my new last name is Gregory, which is a dude's name. 
And it's not that much of a change because my previous last name was Dale, which is also a dude's name. And so, uh, I don't know, one, one to the other. But so Margot is my middle name. My first name's Hannah, which is troubling because Hannah can be a last name. Maybe you see where this is going. So you get assigned a f- like a fake roommate. You live in a dorm for the weekend. And so I open my dorm door and there's a dude in his boxers because I, on their list, was Dale Hannah, not Hannah Dale. So it, it, I'm sure maybe there were some guys in college that would love a female roommate, but I was not one of those roommates that was on board with that. So I had to change it. But being in the wrong place can make you feel super uncomfortable. It can make you feel awkward. There's nothing worse sometimes than feeling out of place. And I know that feeling personally, even when it comes to church, because I grew up Catholic, peaced out after my first communion, you know, like sitting still and doing the kneeling thing. Like I was a kid, I didn't want to do that. So I'm a pretty good part-time Catholic. Like I do the mass thing or Christmas midnight mass. It's so nice. And then I'll do sometimes Easter. So this year I got invited to go to Ash Wednesday with someone and I was like, awesome. It's going to be a little nerve wracking, but it's okay because I can blend in. Like once you got that set skills of like the Catholic, like the song and dance and like you got your knee pads on for all the genuflecting, like I had stretched, I was ready for this and I get in there and it's been a couple years and they changed the script on me. I don't know if you've gone to mass recently, but it used to be like there was these things that the priest would say and you would repeat back all in unison. Well, guess what? It's like, I was like confidently like, and also with you and with your spirit. Oh gosh, I just messed up. So instantly I'm like shrinking back. I was feeling pretty confident, but they had to go change the script on me. And and you start feeling like, oh no, they found me out. They know I'm an imposter. They know I'm a faker. They know I'm a part-timer. They're on to me. And it can even feel like that if you aren't a newbie. I mean, my family uh, is French-Canadian, so I grew up hearing, you know, like being really familiar with the Quebecois, which is just French slang. And so I'm like, oh yeah, French is easy for me. I took French classes because it was an easy grade. I already like knew the French. And so I remember in college, I was like, yeah, I need to raise my GPA. I'll take one of these French classes and then they'll be so impressed because it just comes so easy to me. So I had my first day of a 400, which is like the high level French class. It was one of those classes where they speak no English. And so I go in, I sit down and I forgot like when I was doing my schedule that maybe I shouldn't take a 400 level French class after I just spent two months in Central America. So I'm sitting there and the teacher's telling us in French, which I can at least understand. She's saying, oh, go up and talk about your family, your siblings, and if you have any pets. So I get up there and I get through the parents, I get through the siblings, and I'm trying to say that I have a dog, which that's like one of the first words you learn, even in the basic classes. And in my head, I could not figure it out. I'm like, all right, in Spanish it's perro. In German, it's hund. In Swahili, it's in like in my head, like the little missionary kid. I'm like going through all these things. It's not helping me out. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out the word. And it was just like, oh, I should know this. And now I just look silly. And I know for some people, they tend to avoid going to a church or being in a church setting for those same reasons. 
They think, ah, if I go, someone's going to notice me, right? They're going to find me out. They're going to they're gonna check my attendance record. I mean, that's why you guys don't take these cards, right? You're like, I don't want anyone to know when I'm just like taking a week for me and the girls. We keep the lights down low. You're like, this is awesome. Sneak in, sneak out. And maybe, maybe Margot or Bren or the volunteers, they won't know that I'm actually not really fully on board with the church thing. And Christmas, Christmas, I feel like is slightly different because it's that it's one of those times of year where you're like, eh, but they let other people in on Christmas, right? Like I can blend in joy to the world. I know the carols so I can sing along really well with those. Those haven't changed ever. I'm like Catholic church. Thank you very much. And so I just want to let you guys know that guess what? That is actually okay. Like it's okay because why why is it okay because if you look at the account of the original christmas story not like the red rider but the original christmas story i know also very good life lessons but we're talking about the the other one the jesus one so if you look at the original events in the christmas story very first christmas it actually was set up to include it was made it was designed it was planned out it wasn't on accident it was planned to be for everyone. And, and it's kind of weird if we, if we look at all the facts leading up to this, because it doesn't make sense. It's kind of like they're going one direction here. History tells us they're going one direction. And then er, Christmas, they go a completely different way. Because if you look at, at the people involved in this, the people groups, we have, we have the Jews, which I'm going to be talking about the Jews a lot. And I don't want you guys, I don't want to come off like Mel Gibson-y. Like the Jews are just like Christianity part one. Like they're an important part of our heritage. Jesus was Jewish, shocker. Continuing on. So the Jews had the inside scoop on God, as it were. Like they knew his mind. They knew his heart. They had this history of interacting with him, having this big relationship with him from generation to generation. In terms of religion, they had the membership card and they were able to go and get their blessings in bulk. You know, like they, they had this access, they had this understanding. And so you would think, all right, these people that kind of have it figured out, or at least head knowledge, they know, they know what they're doing. Why aren't they more of a part of one of the most important things to happen in faith? And so we see some, some strange uh, things kind of line up to tell this story. So we see that in the story, if you want to, like, I don't know how else to put it. There is two groups of people and one group would be considered for all appearances to be religiously correct. So they're the people that, um, you know, Jewish people. So they know the laws, they know what they should do. They shouldn't do. And they live it out. Like they practice what they are taught. They live in this strict lifestyle of Judaism. And then you also have uh, the ruler of this area at the time, a guy named King Herod. There's multiple Herods, so it gets kind of confusing. But this particular one, he was considered the king of the Jews because he was a king over the city that was full of Jewish people. And he himself considered himself Jewish because of some surgery that he had. Uh, you know, there's children and little kids in here, but you guys can put the dots together. He had, you know, he did that. That's a pretty big commitment. And he understood a little bit about the Jewish faith. He was definitely a part-timer. Uh, so we have these people, the Jewish people, the king, the people that had the good knowledge of the do's and the don'ts. 
And the Jewish people, especially, not so much the king, but the Jewish people, they believed it, right? Like you don't do, you don't follow a list of rules and regulations unless you really believe that it's beneficial to you. I mean, we wear seatbelts because we believe that they're beneficial to us. And if you don't, it's normally because you're like, oh, that's just a load of, you know, cockamamie. So there's things that we do in our daily lives, observing the, you know, traffic laws, coming to a stop at a stop sign and actually looking. There's things that we do that we wouldn't do if we didn't believe them. So the Jewish people believed that, hey, if I follow these laws, these eat this, don't eat that, wear this, don't wear that, make sure I uh, bathe a certain way, pray a certain way. They did it because they believed it was beneficial to them. So they lived this lifestyle. They, they practiced what was preached to them. So you think that when the city found out that this long, long, long awaited king, Messiah, Savior, has many names, could be just a few miles down the road that folks would be there, that they would be there in a second. They've been practicing and waiting and praying for this moment. So why don't we see them there? They're the people that would be like camped out for Black Friday. And then when the doors open, they just go back to their cars and you're scratching your head saying, hey, like, why would you suffer and like lose a limb and then like not actually go in and get the TV? These are people that had suffered for their faith, had been waiting for a long time. And then when the event finally came, it kind of had this awkward fizzling out. If it was a movie, it would be like one of those movies that just ends. And then you're like, okay, there's all this buildup. And then like nothing happened. So in our culture today, we can see it because you think of like the people that flock to celebrity sightings. I mean, there's a business in Hollywood. If you go down there, they sell the map of the stars, right? And you can go, this is not creepy at all, of course, and go and like track down Antonio Banderas' house and you're like in the hedge trying to get a glimpse of him cleaning his pool or something. This is, this would be big news. This is bigger than any celebrity. So why weren't they flocking there? Why weren't they going there? It's very confusing. So we have that, that question to be asked. And then we have the king. Okay, if he's a king and he's Jewish, shouldn't he at least have some interest here? Well, to set up and explain who King Herod was and uh, the meeting that we have between services to kind of try to refine the, what I'm saying and make it make more sense. They're like, all right, King Herod, Margot is like the mayor of Umatilla. He is in this backwater place that no one's really proud to be the mayor of, but he's, it's something, right? It's something I'm working with what I got here. And in terms of the Roman Empire, this was not a glorious post. This is someone that, like, you have power, but it's the least of the most. And he was a grumpy guy. He was a paranoid leader. Uh, thank goodness he didn't have Twitter. But King Herod, he... <laughs> I shouldn't have gone there. I apologize. So he was not happy because he had spent his entire career working on getting to where he was. Okay, I am a ruler. I am a king. He made sacrifices. He like off some people. We hear him like often family members, not a very stable ruler. He was, he took horrible steps to get where he was. And then <laughs> it's, we see, we see the Christmas story come in. We see all of his hard work kind of being shaken up because the Magi come. And the Magi are intellectuals, they have reputation, like kings would go to them for advice, and they were kind of the who's who of the Brainiac community. And King Herod was not happy, 
because he's sitting in his palace. He has, you know, some splendor, some royalty. He's probably basking in the fact that I finally climbed that ladder. I'm the top dog. These famous people come with gifts, with gold, with money. And he's like, yes, yes. And they're like, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He's like, yes, yes. They're like, where is he? And he's like, do you, the, like, the palace that you're in, like, are you, like, you got your vision checks because you are in the Jewish city, you are in a palace, you are talking to the king. What do you mean you're looking for a king of the Jews? So he was, <laughs> he was not happy. He was not happy about the situation. And we see his response right here in uh, Matthew's account in the second chapter, the third verse, it says, when Herod the king heard this, heard the Magi looking for, for this king, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And now this is the important part, going back to the Jewish people, why weren't they there? The king was troubled, but why was all of Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, when you have an unstable, paranoid, vicious ruler that is art, that's like willing to even kill his own family members to keep his spot on the throne, of course he's not thrilled that there could potentially be competition. And it's kind of like the happy wife, happy life. Like if, if the king ain't happy, nobody's happy. So the Jewish people hear that this is going on and instead of being so excited that this could actually be the answer to their prayers, they start panicking saying, oh no, what if King Herod just flips out? And what if he like loses it? And what if he makes it even more miserable to live here? So we see that what should have been such a happy, exciting moment actually ends up just being this anxiety and anger and, and just paranoia. And it's sad, it's really sad. So the people that we would most expect, the people, if you're asking me, all right, if there's a story about church, you expect like the church people to be the heroes, the church people to have their stuff together. Guess what, they didn't. They didn't, and so we see that the story shifts from, all right, we see that the Jewish people dropped the ball, and the king dropped the ball. Let's continue the story. The story continues on, and we see this whole other side of people, this whole other group of individuals that get highlighted in this account. Because for the Jews, it was just too scary to actually go out there. For them, they've heard about God, and they've prayed to God for so long, but the fact, the idea of actually meeting him face to face, the idea of actually having him within arm's reach, I think like the idea of defining the relationship as it were, like making it official, they got scared and they got so distracted by, well, what that, would that mean for my life? And what would people say about me? And what risk would that put me in if I actually go and, and put myself out there and seek after this? They were too shaken up. So we see that God turns the script and focuses on the most unexpected people. So back to these magi, these wise men, these astronomers, uh, these were guys of high intelligence. They were people that were valued for their thought. Their main goal, if you're a magi, if you're a wise man, was to be wise, was to seek knowledge, was to seek explanations. So why are they here? Most people say, okay, people that seek knowledge and wisdom and explanations, why would they be at a religious event? And that's because the people that truly want to know the big answers aren't scared to look into faith. If you really want to be subjective, if you really want to know the ultimate truth, then you can't say, well, there's nothing good to be found there. You have to explore every avenue. And so what's incredible to me, one of the things I really enjoy is that God loved that about them. God loved that they were truth seekers, that they were people of wisdom and smarts and knowledge. And guess what? God called them to himself 
Through what venue? He could have been like, all right, if they go to that religious service downtown, then I'll speak to them. No, he didn't do that. He spoke to them in their own language, which was wisdom and knowledge and science. He said, hey, there's a star here. This is something significant. You guys are astronomers. You guys are obsessed with the stars and what they mean. I'm going to speak to you in something you're already interested in. And let's see, like follow this path, see where this leads. And you will find the truth that you're looking for. God knew that that would pique their interest. The appearance of a star, in the, they, they know astronomy, and stars held significant value in, in that culture, in that time period, because stars always significant, like uh, signified rising empires, falling empires, wars, good times, bad times. But if there's a new star or a star that was acting oddly, it normally signified the birth of someone important. So if you wanted to be the who's who and know the next big guy on the scene, you would track down the star and figure it out. And that's exactly what they were doing. And they might have gotten scoffed at by their peers because they probably had very comfortable positions in kingdoms where kings would, they could have stayed in their classrooms and their towers and their mansions. But instead they said, you know what? I just want to know what's true. I just want to know what's out there. And I, it's, I could stay here and be comfortable, but it's worth the risk. It's worth the uncomfortable, super long journey across the desert, getting sand in every single area. You know, just, it's worth it. It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the money. It's worth the time to follow this trail and see where it leads because I'm going to regret it if I don't. So they go on this trip and, they, and they, we see that they end up in this Christmas story. And that's incredible to me. So we have the, the Magi there. And then we have the, uh, my favorite uh, characters in the story, which are the shepherds. And in modern society, it's, very, it's hard for us to have an accurate view of what it is to be a shepherd because we just think like this cute little romanticized scene of like the rolling green pastures. And like you're like reclining against a rock by a bubbling brook. And there's like the cute little Bob, the sheep. When really... Uh, this was not a great occupation. No one grew up dreaming of being a shepherd. And it was for many reasons, uh, not just because the job was super hard, which it was. I mean, shepherds were the ultimate stay-at-home moms. They had no time outside their work. They were surrounded at all times by their flock that was loud and messy and always going places that they shouldn't be. They were just trying to keep them together, keep them alive, keep them fed, keep them kind of clean. Moms, amen, you understand. So they were living in a giant flock. I mean, they didn't just have two little ones running around. They had hundreds. And, they, and what happens, as you know, if you hang out with children, kind of like sheep, you just end up getting a little messy, right? You end up wearing things that should never be worn on your clothing. And, you know, you got smells that are not from you, but now they're your smells. You get to adopt them. These guys had a rough go of things. They were not, it was not glamorous. And guess what? To add some, some extra fun to their job, there was constantly animals trying to go in and kill their sheep, which I'm sure someday they're like, take them, take them. But it was their responsibility to keep the sheep safe. So they, they barely got any sleep, right? If you sleep, then you could lose your flock. So they're tired. They got the bags under their eyes. They're smelly. They're, they're looking kind of gross. These are not the people that we expect to be highlighted. These are not those types of people. And so what happens 
Ooh, thanks, babe. I have a little bit of a cold, which is ironic. If you have been here a year, I preached this same Sunday, and I sounded like Minnie Mouse or something. So it's just, it's just that week. Uh, but so the shepherds had a rough time. Their job was rough. What, what really made their lives hard is that because the Jewish people were so strict about cleanliness and rules and observation and prayers, they weren't allowed to be a part of society. They were not welcome. If there was parties or weddings or even their their church services, the shepherds were not welcome because they can never get clean enough, right? They're living in the mess. They're never going to be at their best. They don't have a team of professionals to get them red carpet ready. They're just real people with real messy jobs, and they were not welcome. They were barred from participating with so many aspects in society. So it was a lonely job, constantly being told, you can't come you're not welcome, you're not invited. And yet we see, we see that the most unlikely people get invited in. And to me, it's very, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you knew that you weren't welcome, but it's, it's one of the most heartbreaking and uncomfortable situations. For me, and a much lighter note, I experienced it when I was in Alabama. I was doing some... Uh, some Hurricane Katrina relief, and we're driving back to New Hampshire, which is a 32-hour drive. So we knew, we were prepared. Like, if you know you're on a long road trip, right, you wear, like, the stretchiest pants you can, and, like, the big T-shirt, and you're like, I'm not bothering with makeup, I'm just doing, like, the messy hair, and I'm just driving, I'm, I'm going for distance here. So... We were not looking our best. I mean, when you're in college, all us college girls ever wore were those like sweatpants with the school name down the leg. I don't know if that's still a thing. But so we were not looking our prime. And I forgot that the culture in Alabama is a little bit different than the culture in the North. So we pull up and it's like a gas station, truck stop, diner place. And I have to correct this story because I said in the first service, we walked in and I saw all these truckers with their wives. And then I was corrected saying, truckers don't go to truck stops with their wives. So I'm, so I'm saying, I think it was a diner. I think it was a diner. So these men that kind of look like truckers with their wives, I'm pretty sure it was their wives. Uh, we walk in, we open the door and all of a sudden the diner goes silent, right? Like the waitress freezes the silverware gets set down and they're just looking over at this hot mess of like college girls and guys. Cause in Alabama, in the Southern culture, you do not leave your doorstep unless you have a full face of makeup, your pearl earrings in, your curl set is like on point and you have your iron clothes. And here we are walking in looking like the walking dead. And they just like knew like Yankees, like there be Yankees. So it was super uncomfortable. We knew that we were not welcome not invited. So you just like make the quickest bathroom break of your life when we get out of there. And this was the shepherds. The second they would walk in a door, people would be like, what are you doing here? You're not welcome. You can leave any time now. And yet we see in this account of what happened that they not only were invited, but they are given a personal VIP invitation. I'm going to let you know before anyone else that this is happening. And this is, hap- and this is the biggest event in mankind's history to this point. The un- most unlikely people are invited. And what is this message that they receive? We see it in Luke, uh, which is Luke's account in the second chapter in the 10th verse. And this is delivered by an angel, by the way. So you know it's official. You know it's the real deal. It's not just a hacked email. It says, fear not, but behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And I love this. I bring you 
I bring you, yes, you, shepherd. This is not like a reply all email. I bring you specifically, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people. So imagine what they must have felt because this is probably the first time that they have been included. This is the first time that someone has seen them, looked into their eyes and said, yes, I'm inviting you. This is for you. I want you there. This is probably the first time that they felt wanted and seen and welcome to anything. And it's not just a small thing. I'm sure they would have been happy just to get an invite to a small thing, but this is a huge thing that they got invited to. This message of welcome and invitation didn't come when they were cleaned up and in prayer and having this like churchy, holy moment. God met them in the field. God met them when they were still messy. God met them at their workplace and said, hey, you, yes, you, I actually want you to be a part of this because it's for everyone and we we focus, if you've gone to a Christmas service before, about how sad it is that Jesus was born in a barn setting on a manger. But what really makes that beautiful is if Jesus was born in a synagogue, which I don't know why you'd be born in a synagogue, but if Jesus was born in a temple or a holy place or a cleaned up part of the city, guess who wouldn't be allowed to come? Shepherds and other people who just weren't good enough, who weren't clean enough, who didn't have all those religious boxes checked, that didn't have the track record, that didn't have the resume, that didn't have the appearance of perfection, they wouldn't be welcome. So why is God born in a messy place? It's because he wants to say, I'm going to make it as easy as possible for you to come to me. I don't want there to be any barriers. I don't want you to feel like you have to dress up or act a certain way. I just want you as you are. So I'm willing to come to the lowest place so that the lowest person can find me. And to me, that's incredible. That's incredible. And I... And I and I appreciate what Eastlake does to a certain extent because we try to model that. I mean, we could have, a, like I was just uh, doing soup kitchen work at this beautiful Methodist cathedral. And I remember sitting in there and looking at the windows. And I'm like, wow, this place is so beautiful and so pretty. And it's, what is it? I don't know if you've ever gone to like one of those steeple cathedrals. You like, you instantly lower your voice, right? You're like, ah, oh, I gotta whisper. Like this place is just so pretty. It's so like powerful, so formal. I gotta... And then people come in here and like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I had a bar party here the other week. And like, there's just something crazy about doing church in an environment that's in a crazy old abandoned theater. And we like it that way because if God sets the example of, hey, I want to make, I want to come to earth. And when I come to earth, I'm coming into the most accessible, the most or the least intimidating, most accessible place I can be. Then I feel like church of all places should feel like that. It should always feel like I can come here. I can be myself here. And I love that because it reflects God's heart and God's intention. And I, I just, my, that's one of my favorite things about the Christmas. And people get kind of uptight about Christmas. Like you hear 
stories on the news about the war on Christmas and people have to say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. And I, I admit I've gotten caught up in that in the past just because I love Christmas. Like I love Christmas time and I just feel like I like my my nephew's Jewish and I'm like, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, happy Christmas. I made latkes last night, like happy Hanukkah. It's awesome. It's great. So what I love about Christmas is it wasn't created to be an inclusive holiday. It's not something that Christians are supposed to say, like, this is only for us. If you're not fully on board, you're not welcome here. Like, it's, it was never meant to be that. At its start, it was created to be a holiday that was for everyone, because God set the example of, hey, I'm taking down the hoops that everyone has to drop through, and I'm making this as easy as possible. Christmas, at its inception, was a holiday that wasn't celebrated well by the church or its people. I mean, we, we saw in the story that the Jewish people, they dropped the ball. Rather, the first Christmas was celebrated by the most expected, unexpected group of people because they actually got it. They actually understood that it was more important to, to not care about the rules and the regulations and descriptions and just to come, just to, to seek it out, just to see what was at the end of that path, just to figure out who is this God that would invite me to come to a manger? These people, not the church, not the, the Jewish people, they ended up discovering the truth and amazement of God in the flesh because God delights not in the people that do the right things on the appearance, the ones that on the outside have it all figured out and all together. God in the story from moment one loves the outcasts, loves the truth seeker, loves the ones that are willing to put aside preconceived notions and pursue a relationship or what that would even look like. And to me, that is honestly what makes Christmas most special. It's because it breaks this mold and it throws open the door to everyone. It's God showing up in our daily lives, in our mess, and meeting us where we are at and saying, I'm so glad that you are here. And thinking about it like that makes that phrase seem just a little bit more special. Merry Christmas to all. Because Christmas is, if nothing else, for us all. We're going to pray. God, we thank you that um, you could have shown up and shown off in a, in a huge palace or in, in a flashy way, but God, that even in every small detail that you show us that you don't care about the outside, you don't care about our, our track record or resume or what people would say about us, God, that you just care that we are willing to come. And God, that can be so hard and so scary, but God, we know that... Um, or God that's faithful to that. So I pray that, that those that are feeling uncomfortable or unsure about church or Christmas time, Lord, that you would just make it so clear to them that this is intended, that you threw up the door for everyone, God, that there's no um, list of requirements to enter that door, God, that it's just open and for everyone. And we appreciate that that has not changed uh, sometimes we get it wrong and sometimes we don't show you in the right light. Sometimes we make it seem like you are a person that you definitely are not. So God, we just ask that we can be as loving and as welcoming as you are to us, not just on that Christmas day, but every day forward. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray.
Amen.